0: Let's do it.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we will to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us calls? that to get you right up to the top of the list.
2: That's right. Call right now. it be a good time. That's right. Time to spend with you and answer your question thoroughly, but... Come 11 o'clock, we're out of here. So,
1: Well, that's right. And, and it seems like just about every week, most of the calls start coming in, like in the third segment. And we have to kind of give people a bum's rush. Don't get a chance to give them a complete answer just because we're ripping and rushing trying to get out of here. So call now, and we can spend some time with you answer your question thoroughly. If you've got multiple questions, be glad to address those as well.
2: That's it. And if you happen to think of something after the show goes off or maybe during the week and you need to get a question answered, you can go to our website. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that, Altazan's Garage Company. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night using the form from the website, Website. and he'll get you an answer back within 24 hours, any day of the week, even on vacation.
1: That's it. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I picked the name Garage Company way, way, way back, I guess 40 years ago when I was developing all the ideas of owning a shop i'd look around and you had the automotive repair and it was just starting to get into the car care centers and tiring, I, I wanted to be a garage <laughs> my old father-in-law had a garage uh-huh and he worked on t-model Fords. and the first time i ever seen him take a timer off of a t-model Ford and file it down and fix a little wheel in there and
2: put it all back put together. it all
1: back yeah that's what i want to do right there, there you go. <laughs> i want to be a garage <laughs> i don't want to be a car care center <laughs> so, but anyway that's where that name came from Altazan's garage company agco and over the years of course we've done real well just seemed like growing growing grow. that's one of the things we've got on the website is the history and evolution of agco and you can go in there and go all the way back to the original one-bay garage, where we started out, and then move forward from there all the way to... The, the present. Yeah, which is probably one of the nicest shops in the United States, I would venture to say.
2: I tell you what, you roll up to the front, and you really don't realize it's a repair right. center.
1: And that was one of the reasons we built it that way, because we just didn't want to look like everyone else.
2: Right. Like well, we like don't operate like everyone else. That's
1: exactly right. Everything just about is different, so we didn't want to be... You know, we want people to realize when they come up that this yeah. is something different.
2: We wanted to be the leader, not, not following the leader.
1: <laughs> well, that's right. Everything from a lot of folks will comment on the white floors in the shop, guys wearing white shirts and stuff like that. That's all part of the plan that we want to be something different, and we think a lot better. Right. That's kind of some of the philosophy that's on there, and there's an entire section on the site called the philosophy, Agco philosophy, that you can go in, read, and tell you a little bit about how we do things, why we do things that way, so on and so forth as that. And then, of course, there's just tons and tons of other things on there. Oh,
2: there's, there's all kind of different places to go on the mm-hmm. site. You have your vehicle questions, which is a short-to-the-point answer right. to a different question. you got your detailed topics, That's which right. is more in-depth articles on a certain topic. You also have your agco questions. That's right. We're which are sure or pertaining directly to Agco, what kind of credit cards you take, what hours you open, uh, why do we make appointments, how can you
1: pick up and drop up before hours, Right, stuff like that. Things
2: like that. There's and also several games and things you can play on the right. site. That's right. Fun stuff. Win a free echo t-shirt. Still got t-shirts?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't gonna run out of those for sure. And put an article in there this morning on EGR systems and that's a word that probably a lot of folks have heard. The acronym EGR. Of course it stands for exhaust, gas, recycle. And most of the cars from probably the 1970s on up have some sort of EGR system on them. Although some of the real new stuff is actually getting away from it. They've gotten right. to a point now where they to eliminate the NOx uh, emissions and the detonation without EGR, which Uh is kind of, I guess, where it's going in the future. But in the meantime, there's millions and millions of cars out there with EGR systems. And kind of a problematic thing. It's a code we see a lot, and it's a code that gets misdiagnosed an awful lot.
2: Most definitely.
1: So good, good article to read. It's called EGR Systems, How They Work, such as that. Read that, see what you think www.agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. Pop on there and see what you think. And we're going to take some of our phone calls. We've got Herbert on the line. Good morning, Herbert.
3: Good morning. Yes, Good sir. Morning. Uh, 01 Pontiac, 3.8. Uh-huh. Cruising down the road, 65 70 mile an hour on, in overdrive, mm-hmm. and it'll give two or three little pulses like it's, you know, just a quick cutout or,
4: uh-huh.
3: or a skip or something other than uh-huh. that, that Ring a bell as to what might be
1: man, probably about two hundred different things it could be. <laughs>
3: okay. <laughs> One common
1: issue. Does it ever die on you, Herbert? Or no. no uh,
3: that's the only, and it may when it stops, it may not do it again for a little while. Yeah,
1: yeah. I tell you, this is just pulling out of straw. It's just something I've seen a number of times on that car. Has the fuel pump ever been replaced in it?
3: Nope. It's got ninety. 90- 5,000, something
1: like that. Yeah, a fuel pump can do that when it's starting to go out. And what you want to watch, not so much the the pump itself or the fuel pressure, but the wires going into it. They had a little weak spot in the harness back there. And what it would do is it would kind of char that ground wire. Mm -hmm. And when it did, it would start getting a little bit worse contact. Now, you're going down the road. All of a sudden, it just breaks contact for a split second. Wham, you know, the engine's going to bog down. And, of course, it picks right back up. If that's what it is, it'll generally get worse and worse, occur more and more frequently, and then one day it's going to die on you, and you know, it may start back again after it sits for a little while. Other than that, any number of things can cause that. Are you getting any kind of check engine light at all? No. Uh, okay. See, on a 91, you, you don't. Uh, it's an old one right? one Oh, yeah. On zero one, one it may have something stored that you could pick up with a scan tool. You might want to have it scanned just to see because some things don't turn check engine light on. Something like a bad coil can cause that. That engine is going to have three coils on there that fire two cylinders each. And what happens when a coil starts getting weak, it fires the first cylinder in the rotation, but then when the second cylinder comes up, it hadn't regenerated enough so it can skip or miss like that. Mm-hmm. Now, so you I need, have seen
2: that. You need to have someone that has a factory scan tool right. a tech two. To scan that for you because the cheap scan tools at right. all parts places are well, uh, not going to pick yeah, that up. yeah, an aftermarket
1: up. tool is going to be no right. good at all. you, you got to be something, wasting your time. Something that can do bi-directional communication with the PCM. And But you might pick it up on a scope. Other than that, uh, how's just the general tune of the engine? Plugs and all that stuff
3: okay? Yeah, the wire's about 20,000 miles on them, and the plugs um, are about the same.
1: Yeah. Man, it's going to be I'm, tough to find if it's yeah. so intermittent. Of course, fortunately, it's not that big of an issue to you right now. It's just kind of an aggravation. but. I think what I would maybe do is go as far as bring it to someone with a factory scan tool, let them scan it, see if anything's in there. If not, I would probably just wait until it gets a little worse because you can invest a whole lot of money looking without a whole lot of place to go right now.
3: Okay, that's the car that you fixed the leaking intake on, and I give it to my son in Georgia. Okay, and uh, he's got it. They they straightened it out over there. Okay. And that little plastic
1: piece, kept yeah, away. yeah, a little old yeah. elbow in there kept going
3: bad. They on. kept, it. they had a devil of time getting it to quit leaking, but they <laughs> finally got it. So well, good deal. Okay, well, I appreciate you. Okay, Herbert,
1: thank good you, man. Bye, bye. Right, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Terry online. Good morning, Terry. Oh,
5: good morning. Good morning. I think I may have a similar problem to your last caller. Uh huh. I have an old Buick Regal mm-hmm. ninety three. It's mm-hmm. like eighteen years old. Okay. But it's only got forty seven thousand miles. Uh huh. Old aunt drove it beauty shop. Yes, ma'am.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: Once a week. Okay, between say about forty eight to fifty five. Mm-hmm. When you accelerate, mm-hmm. it kind of hesitates, like it's choking a little bit, uh-huh. and then it's fine. It yeah, goes through that point.
1: Does it every time, Terry, or most of the time?
5: Most of the time, pretty regular. Probably yeah. was a fuel issue with now, gas. Yeah, when it was probably on empty, not. But no.
1: Probably not. If it does it almost every time and it's kind of like a bogged down hesitation thing, what I would do is check and see if the air flow meter is clean on there. Because okay. what happens is a part they call the mass airflow meter. What it does is that it measures the amount of air running into the engine so that the engine knows how much fuel to add. Uh-huh. What happens over the years is it can get dirty. And when they do, they start reading a little erratically. And when you accelerate you'll get that bod flat spot and then, it'll do, and then it'll go ahead and pick it up because the oxygen sensors can override it once they it takes them a split second to do it, but if they're getting the incorrect fuel air mixture, the O2 sensors will pick up on that and they'll just override. Mm-hmm. So that's why you get the little hesitation or flat spot. Yeah, one other don't. yeah, one other possibility is what they call a throttle position sensor those were kind of problematic on those cars and it's a little simple on the throttle body and it tells it how much gas you're giving it and because she always drove at probably the same speed which was probably 25 miles an hour (laughs) yeah it's probably got a lot of wear in that one little spot but not over the whole range and it could be that when you're accelerating you're getting a little glitch there and again when the computer sees that glitch it's going to a little kick or skip that you would have to put a digital lab scope on and sweep the sensor back and forth and see if you can pick up on it Mm -hmm. either way it's probably not real critical it's not like it's going to cause you a lot of issues but if it occurs most of the time then it should be fairly easy for a shop to find it you just have to bring it in and show them what it's doing and then they'll have to take a little time to you know check the components and see what it is
5: all right, so I'll, I'll probably call and make an appointment with okay. you.
1: Okay, well, that sounds good. And
5: let you check it out. Of you know, it has been sitting up. Mm-hmm. The...
1: Yeah, that's kind of hard on a car. Those cars like at the older cars without many miles, they generally tend to have a lot of problems once you start driving them. Right. Uh, the age gets to them worse than the miles do. Yeah, So. It's worse
5: sitting up and driving. Mm-hmm, yep. Okay, well, I appreciate okay, it. Terry. I couldn't get through last week, so. Uh-oh. <laughs> All right, thank you. <laughs> thank
1: you, Bye-bye. Bye-bye if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And let's see, we have got Keith has been patiently holding. Good morning, Keith.
7: Good morning. Love your show, guys. Thanks, sir. Thank you. I have got a 99 Civic that has a persistent overheating problem that a local shop who I trust a lot uh-huh. uh, just can't seem to solve. Okay. Um,
1: Let me ask you, Keith, when does it overheat? Is it when it's sitting at an idle or when you're driving down the road or what brings the overheating on?
7: It is both. Now, I, I am a carpooling dad, so I spend a great deal of time in carpool line okay. idling. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily just at that time. It'll, mm-hmm. it'll do it running down the road.
1: Too. Well, what you going want to do, Keith, is pay particular attention to when the overheating starts and what helps it, because that's going to tell you where to start looking. For instance, okay. if you're sitting in line at the carpool and the temperature starts to go up. Okay. And you start driving and it continues to be up and then eventually comes back down. Yeah, Okay, well, then we're probably looking at some sort of an airflow type of an issue. In other words, we're not that, that, moving enough air through the radiator when it's sitting still. Right. Now, if you got a situation where you go from here to Lafayette, the further you drive, the hotter it gets. That's a whole different issue. You it see, sounds
7: more like the first scenario you mentioned. Right.
1: You might have them check. There are two cooling fans on there. That's right. And uh-huh. you want to make sure that both of those are working and that both of those are working at full speed. Because they've got two-speed fans on there, and they can come on and be running. And a lot of mechanics just look at it and say, well, they're running. Well, right. yeah, they're running, but they're only running half speed. Right. So when you're sitting at an idle with the air conditioner on you're not generating enough airflow, so the car starts to overheat. Right. Now, when you start going down the road, it will eventually cool back down because now you've got 40-mile-an-hour air blowing through it. Right. But it's going to take it a little while to get rid of all that extra heat. Right. So that kind of sort of sounds like what you're into is something like that. That makes sense. It's possible you could have a radiator that's a little clogged up on it. We it's, replaced the radiator. You did? Okay. And that didn't help. We
7: did. And we replaced the thermostat. Yeah, that's and...
1: the normal stuff. Yeah. I would highly suspect those cooling fans. Okay. Make, And it's not necessarily the fan motor itself either because there's some circuits that control those yeah and you can have two perfectly good motors but if the circuits controlling them aren't turning them on properly yeah then you can have that does the air condition kind of start not cooling as well
7: no the air conditioner seems to be working great in that particular fan mm-hmm. i think that is just for the air conditioner right that fan is always it's never, wide open but the,
1: the check the other, other one
7: The other fan, Mm -hmm. I have noticed, you know, when the car is Mm -hmm. hot, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll quickly pop the hood and Mm -hmm. look at that fan, and that fan is not running.
1: Yeah, well, there you go. That's That's, that's going to be your problem. problem. That should be... Yeah. Turning and turning fast. There's a specification. I think it runs at two different speeds. And there's a sensor that tells it when it's hot. That could possibly be bad. There's a relay that grounds yeah. the motor or the motor itself, any yeah. one of those. So, you know, any decent mechanic should be able to find that and pretty quick. I'll
7: tell quick. you, one of the frustrating things about it is that this fan is sort of – I think it kind of works intermittently. I think yeah. I it, it seems to always work for the mechanics, of course. <laughs> and they're like, we see this fan turning. We're not going to replace a perfectly good fan. And right, <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, and what you could do in a case like that is – is to go in and check the amperage draw on the fan because uh-huh. you may find it's excessive, which indicates the fan is bad. Yeah. You can also put a lab scope uh, across the leads of the fan and take a look at the, the noise that the brushes are producing. Yeah. So even though it's working, you can sometimes still isolate that out.
2: And okay. a, a fan motor that's putting a lot of amperage uh-huh. will, will burn up a relay. Right, it's going to burn up the relay, or the wiring, burn up the connectors, and, connectors and, and cause and you other somewhere. problems. Right. Yeah,
7: yeah okay. All righty. Well, that's great. I appreciate the information. Okay, guys. Keith. All
2: right.
1: Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break. Chuck, if you hang on, you're going to be straight up after the break.
8: Sir, how did you get in here? I used my
9: grappling hook and climbed in through the window.
8: Well, as long as you have an appointment. Ah, yes, Mr. B. Wynn. Uh, why are you stressed about your job?
9: Doc, I live in an area with a high crime rate, and part of my duty is to fight that crime. But lately, it seems like every time I turn around, someone needs my help. It's like this bright light signaling. Bat- I
8: mean... B. Wayne, help us. Well, Mr. Wayne, there's not much I can do in regard to your crime-fighting dilemma. But if you want some peace of mind, bring your car in once a year to AGCO for a general inspection. They'll inspect your vehicle bumper to bumper and let you know where you stand. And these guys are honest? Years ago, they advised me not to fix a minor electrical problem that I could live with because it was too expensive. They sound like good people. Okay, I've got to (coughs) go. I sure wish he would use the door like a normal patient.
9: Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go.
1: Hey, welcome back. you just joined the Automotive Hour. your host, Louis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls? And we're going back to our phone lines with Chuck. Good morning, Chuck.
4: 2001 Saturn. Uh huh. What it was doing is. I turned the key on it, and, and lights on, everything on the dashboard comes okay. on, fan for the air conditioning. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And don't, turn the ignition and don't get anything on this as far as turning the engine over. mm mm-hmm. and, and the battery wasn't dead because I didn't get any click. You know, you get a click-click sound if the battery's real low. Sometimes. So I tried. Then I tried to jump it off, mm-hmm. and still nothing. Yes, sir. Wouldn't, mm-hmm. wouldn't jump off. Mm-hmm. So I heard, okay, might be a starter. So I took a wrench. Didn't see the starter, but just hit the engine, Mm -hmm. turned the ignition, and it started. Yeah. And then it went fine for about a month. Uh Uh-huh. Did it it again, did the same thing, hit the engine, and it started. Right. And then the third time, maybe another month later, I did it and hit the engine. That trick didn't work anymore. Nothing (laughs) happened. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That was like a Friday morning. Mm -hmm. So Sunday evening... And I used the other car. So i yes. I just get in it, it, turn the key, and it started it right. Yeah. Ever yeah. since it's just been running fine. Yeah. I brought it in after the first, to a shop after the first thing, and yeah. you know they couldn't do anything. Well, no,
1: you're not going to find anything.
4: So they couldn't figure out what it was. No, well, there was no way.
1: There's no way they can figure that out. Chuck, you just have to go in, and when it occurs, instead of hitting the engine, what you need to do is get a voltmeter, go down to the starter terminal, put the voltmeter across there, turn the key, and see if you've got voltage going to the starter. If you got voltage going into the starter and it doesn't turn, well, then obviously the starter motor's bad. Now, if you don't have voltage, it could be any one of a thousand different things interrupting the flow to there. In words, you've got the simplest thing, neutral safety switch, which if it's not seeing the car in neutral or park, even though it is, it's not going to allow the starter to turn. You've got a security system that can disable the starter. On and on and on and on, any of the wiring in between, any the of the wiring. Down to at, a
2: bad connection.
1: Right, bad connection at the power center, bad connection at the starter. And, again, any one of those, when you hit the engine, could shake that connection and make it good. The problem you're going to have is, like you've already experienced, if you take it in the shop, they can test it till the cow's come home. It's just cranking up every time, so all the connections are going to test good. It's going to be a little bit of a challenge to find what you'd almost have to do. Like I if you catch it next, it seems like it's getting a little longer each time, which is good. Next time it does it, get it to a shop immediately while it's not doing it, and they can tell you in about five minutes what it is. Mm-hmm. Unless you've got the wherewithal to do some checking yourself, that's the way you'd have to do it is put a voltmeter at the starter and see if you've got voltage there when you're turning the key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, you could go on and on and on and on and on, anything from an ignition switch to the wire yes. hooking to the starter right. to the starter right. motor when it itself. It on,
4: when it did it on that Friday, what I was going to do is I said, okay, now I got it, I'm going to wait till Monday right. to into the shop, and I got him. you know, mm-hmm. and – so Sunday, and I just turned yeah, and I don't know, I know why they, saw they saw do saw that.
1: The I don't know why they do that, man, but they do. You know, I get people all the time will tow a car to me, so it's been sitting in my yard for a week. Won't start record driver drops it oh, all. We go out there, hit the key, and cranks right up. <laughs> we're, right. we're driving to bay, you know. Yeah, that's probably one of the most aggravating things in the world. Try to find an intermittent problem. Right. Now, what a shop could do for you if you just can't do it is, is they could hook up a wire to the starter run it into the passenger compartment with like a little led light or something on it and tell you just to watch that and when you turn the key and it won't start look at that and tell me what it's doing now if it's not on i know i got have no voltage at the starter so then we know we're into some kind of electrical issue if i got voltage at the starter then i know i'm into a starter so that might be a kind of way they could do it where it would allow you to do a little bit of detective work yourself mm-hmm. and that would be relatively easy to rig up but you know, you might ask uh, whomever you have working on if they could do that. Hook up a little LED or something in the car that when you turn the key to start, it just goes to the starter and picks up the current. So, I mean, next time it does it, if it's on a Saturday or Sunday, you look down. Hey, that little light's not on. Then mm-hmm. you know, or you got an electrical issue, or yeah, the little light is on, but it won't start. Well, then we're into a starter.
2: Right. Then you got something to tell them when you bring the car. Right.
1: In. And if you get lucky and little lights on, when well, then you, you pretty much confirm it is a starter, man. Right.
4: All right. All right. Well, thank you. Okay, Chuck. All right, sir. Thank you, man. Thank Bye-bye.
1: You. All right. All right. If you want to be part of the automotive fire, we'd love to have you. And we got John online. Good morning, John.
10: Good morning, guys. Good morning, yeah. sir. 01 Suburban. Uh-huh. And having a bit of a problem at idle. Okay. The idle's kind of – I don't want to say the idle's hunting, you know, where mm-hmm.
1: it's – Surging up, up and down. Up and down,
10: up and down at a mm-hmm. consistent rate. That's yes, not sir. the key. The idle goes down low. You pat the gas, and it comes up, and it may stay up to mm-hmm. normal idle. hmm i got what normal RPMs would be on that.
1: Probably about and, 650.
10: Yeah, that's about right. Now I think it almost drops almost to 200. Wow. You know. Yeah. Or, I mean, it goes way low, you know, and it's like barely, and, and, but you're not getting any dim lights like right. The alternators. Right, right, down or right. Anything. And then, um, and, but no runability problems. Right. John, I can tell
1: enough. you two or three things that can cause that. The simplest thing and a fairly common thing is a dirty throttle body. When the right. throttle body gets dirty on it, it really can't find idle, particularly if the battery has been disconnected any time in the recent past. Huh. It loses some of its idle function, and it really can't relearn them properly, so it'll start right. all that kind of stuff. And the fix would be to go in and clean the throttle body good and see if that doesn't clear it up. Now, that's something you could probably do yourself if you're fairly handy. Yeah, I've done that
10: before on another truck. Yeah, right?
1: and just see what that does now if that doesn't do it it's more likely going to be a part called the idle control servo Uh and that's a relatively easy part to change also and relatively inexpensive
2: there was also a software update for Mm -hmm. idle uh running through somewhere 2000 to 2003 right on the uh chevy trucks and i think it went over to the suburbans too yeah i
1: believe so yeah yeah and see it for whatever reason it didn't show up initially but after they get a Few miles on them. That's when it would show up. So, anybody with a Tech Two scan tool could scan PCM, see what update software you're running, and if necessary, yeah. reflash that update, and that yeah, may help as well.
10: Okay, if I replace this servo, and let's say I clean the throttle body. Yes, sir. and I replace the servo. Does it? Does the PCM have to be reflashed or anything, or is it just a... Well, if
1: you reflash the PCM, it'll fix that idle concern that GM is aware of, but no, changing the servo will not cause... You don't have to do no, that? Sir. Okay. No, sir. No, sir, not at all. I think it screws right into the side of the throttle body, if I'm not mistaken.
10: Okay. It has a couple right. of wires on it. Well, I've cleaned the throttle bodies before, mm-hmm. and, and I can tell you as a word to the... Other listeners out (laughs) there, the last thing you want to do is put that long red nozzle on the end of that can. Uh that mine shot clear into the back (laughs) of the (laughs) can. Brother, let me tell you, I was
1: speaking the French language big time. Oh, i bet.
2: I, I'm I sorry, because can... all we can do is laugh about
1: it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there.
1: I can only imagine. I tell you what, what's a good one, too, on some of the new throttle bodies where they're actually servo-controlled, what you do is you reach down, you crack it over, and your son comes in and turns the key open, and it clanks oh. down your finger. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. All right, John. Well, I appreciate y'all's help. All, all right, right, John. Thank you, man. bye Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Sean Line. Come on, Sean.
0: Hey, how's it going?
1: Doing great, sir.
0: Good. I got a question. I've been having a couple of problems about three times in the past four or five months. Mm -hmm. I have a 97 Accord Mm -hmm. manual. Mm -hmm. And when I'm leaving work and getting on the interstate, Uh I'll get up to speed and my car hesitates. And when I mean hesitates, it's almost like you pop the clutch, all my gauges go to zero. And then all of a sudden, it just goes back to yeah. almost speed. and Does the clock up. reset
1: when that happens, Sean?
0: No, it doesn't.
1: does not. That's, okay.
0: And the weirdest, it got me worried a while, but it only happens every so often. And yesterday, Jake, okay, and yeah. it hit it again. And what year is it showing? The 97.
1: I tell you what, they had actually a recall on those year models for the ignition switch causing a lot of problems like that. I don't know if that recall is still in force or not. But what it would do, one of the terminals in the ignition, and it's probably got 15 terminals in there, yeah. would lose contact temporarily. It could cause the car to die, and it could cause the car to hesitate and all. That almost sounds like what you got, and you might just check and see if that's still under recall. It may have ended, because that's been quite a while back. Right. But I know I have changed an awful lot of ignition switches for that exact problem. The dash gauge now drop down, but the clock won't reset, because that's on a different circuit. Right. See, if the clock resets and you're losing main power, you're into like a battery terminal or a distributor R terminal, something like that, or, or generator terminal or whatever. But that is the first thing I would check, and you might get lucky, reach up under there, grab the wiring harness on the back of that thing and shake it around and see if you can duplicate it, but a lot of times you can't. Right. Uh, the only other thing you might just do is pull the distributor cap off and see if there's any oil inside the distributor because they had a fair amount of trouble with the distributors back in those days, too, and the seals go bad and all gets into them, and once that happens, they're done. You've got to replace the distributor.
0: Right. Now, the other weird thing is it only happens as I'm leaving work and getting on the interstate in yeah. about the same spot.
1: Yeah, it's probably just that temperature or whatever or that set of circumstances that just happens to bring it on. But, All right. It's uh, always in the afternoon, and
0: it never happens anywhere else around town.
1: Yeah, I would think that's probably just a, where you happen to drive a lot and you happen to hit those circumstances. You know, the temperature's right, and this is right, and that's right, and that's why it occurs there because I can't think of anything else that would cause. You don't have enough electronics on there. I've seen where radio frequencies in a certain area could interfere, but that car's not going to have enough electronics on it to uh, have an issue like that.
0: Right. Right, but uh, check those two
1: things; you uh, you may find very well find your problem there.
0: All right, I appreciate you. Okay, help.
1: Sean, thank you, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye bye. I one more quick little break. Brian, hang on; you'll be straight up after the break.
8: Ah yes, Mister Bigfoot, huh? make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded
9: forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then, I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype.
8: If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that could lead to big, expensive problems down the road. And the AGCO general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's AGCO's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at AGCO
9: Automotive. AGCO, it's the place to go.
1: Welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Albazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls got all our lines wide open? Just go ahead and give us a call, I'll get you right up to the top of the list.
2: That's right. Right now is the perfect time to call. Well we've I've... still got some time to talk to you.
1: That's a fact. I was thinking this morning on my way into work. I was listening to the news and I said, you know what happens or uh, what, what's happening in our country as a whole and particularly on cars, is you have what they call are what I call quality debt. And what quality debt is, it's a debt that accumulates every time you put a Band-Aid on something that you should have fixed. Okay. For instance, you have a problem, and instead of fixing it, you go for a quick fix or a low-dollar deal. Well, it's working now, but you've accumulated some quality debt. This is a price that you're going to have to pay down the road. Okay. That's generally going to be a much higher price than it would have been initially. If you fixed it right. And, of course, we see that in our country as a whole. They're putting Band-Aids on bridges that should have been rebuilt or replaced 25 years ago. Right. And until one of them caves in and kills, kills- 200 people, then everybody rushes out and they want to do something. But
2: Well, that's the same thing that just happened Back, uh, what, last year when that bridge and— Right, right. I forget where it was at. Well,
1: it's it's everything with with these short-term, quick-fix solutions, and we see it as it relates to automobiles in these cheap, junk, white-box parts that people find. Because, let's say they have a problem with the car, and they go down and check the price on a good part, and it's $300. So they go down to this goofy world and and find a part that's $89.
2: Looks just the same now. Oh, it looks Looks the same. exactly the same.
1: And they pop it on there, and it cranks up. Okay, well, that's great. It's fixed. But ignoring the quality debt, and that's the debt they're going to pay. So they go down the road for a month, two months. This part shorts out, and that knocks out the PCM. Right. So now they've not only got to buy the right part again, but now they got a $900 PCM, plus they're stranded on the side of the road. Another example would be the transmission gets a little leak in it. Well, instead of bringing it into the shop and getting the leak fixed, they just dump some stop, stop leak, leak in, in there. it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I see. We see that all the well, time. Yeah,
1: and and the way that stuff works is it swells up all the seals, which temporarily does stop the leak, but now all the seals deteriorate, and you got to rebuild the entire transmission for something that may have been
2: a simple shift. Well, a seal twelve dollar
1: seal you could have changed in a half an hour, right? And now you got a transmission rebuild on your hand, right? That's quality debt. That is a debt that you are accumulating every time you do something. That is substandard. I understand. I think that it's a worthwhile concept. It kind of flows in with our main concept at ACO overall lowest cost. And it's sort of like it just takes a lot more research and thought up front before you act right what's popular today is ready fire aim (laughs) yeah (laughs) and what you got to do is you just got to give it a little bit more thought think this through for instance we're our building at agco of course is is going on 20 years old now so obviously some things are starting to wear out and one of the things that's wearing out is the fluorescent lighting that we installed 20 years ago right and so we could go in and replace it with more fluorescent lighting but doing some research there's several new technologies that are out there now that although they cost a little bit more going in or maybe substantially more going in the replacement cost on them is way way down road because they last four to five times as long they burn half as much energy with with no maintenance
5: maintenance.
1: so the overall cost is is actually way lower right but it takes some research because a lot of these out there, and you don't want to get into the wrong thing. You don't want to spend a whole lot more money. You can buy a fluorescent fixture for maybe $50, $60, and you're going to pay an electrician probably another 150 to $300 to get up there and hook it up. Right. Or you can buy an induction lighting fixture for $300, and you're going to pay the same price to get it up. However, that fluorescent fixture is going to last at best fifteen to 20,000 hours, and the induction fixture is going to last a hundred thousand hours right which is about 20
4: years
1: (laughs) and not only that but the overall cost of operating it burns half as much energy it gives better light it gives it doesn't have the flickering effect it gives a truer light and the light doesn't degrade over time some of the technologies like leds for instance they're less expensive but if you notice when you put them in they put out say you have 80 foot candles light at your workbench Uh uh-huh and then a year later, you got, got sixty. Sixty, and then a year later, you got fifty. <laughs> right, because they're dimming down. So those, even though they're cheaper to buy, are more expensive over the long run because you have you to replace them. them sooner. Right. If I have to go in in five years and replace them all, and the other ones were going to last twenty to twenty-five years, then it doesn't matter if it costs fifty percent more going in. That's right. It's way cheaper. And the same thing with your car. I guess more so than anything else. Sometimes it is way, way cheaper to pay a professional to diagnose the car.
2: Definitely. Than definitely. to go in
1: and start throwing parts at
2: it. Well, you, you're throwing substandard parts at it, maybe causing another problem mm-hmm. that you didn't have before.
1: Well, you're accumulating quality debt is, is where we're going with the whole thing. Right. It's a price that you're going to pay. You can put it off today. And it's sort of like our budget deficit in the country. Nobody wants to deal with that, but you just keep on adding to. Well, let's just raise the ceiling. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that's that a makes, fix. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the same thing with your car and your personal life and everything else. You're going to pay the price sooner right. or later. And when you pay it down the road, it's generally going to be significantly higher
2: than it was Than if you, if you go you ahead and deal with it. it right
1: now. Right. So, I guess the point is when you have a car, and older cars actually, uh, I guess, are more prone to this than newer cars are just like young people i was 18 stay up all night long and go out drinking and you know i felt bad the next day but then i was good right well i couldn't do that now <laughs> as you get older it doesn't mean you can't live a long long time more but you just got to take a little better care of yourself you right. can't do all the things you did when you were young
2: and people see an older car as well it's an older car now so so i'm gonna go cheap on it right <laughs> i'm
1: gonna put a cheap battery in it i'm gonna buy cheap gas for it i'm not gonna change it all this regular i'm gonna go get cheap parts put on it because it's an old car well then when it craters in see i'm glad i didn't spend any money on it because it was an old car everybody. yeah well, no, you killed it. Yeah, it would have lasted. <laughs> that car could have lasted. And we see every single day how many customers we've got with 150, 200, 300, even 400,000 miles on their cars. Right. I mean, that is a daily occurrence we're seeing, people coming in with that kind of mileage. Mm. where we've been working on them for the last 20 years. And lady was in there yesterday, and she's got a little Toyota Camry, 187,000 miles on it. Right. And little car is still fine. I mean, you can get it tomorrow and go to California if you want to. Right. Well, that's probably two or three cars she didn't have to buy Expanded
2: 25000 twenty-five cost. to
1: 30000 bucks right. a crack. Not only that, but the, the cost of the newer cars, just maintaining them, is getting higher mm-hmm. and higher and higher because all the technology and stuff. That's definitely,
2: on. definitely.
1: Hey, let's go to our phone lines. We have got Paul online. Good morning, Paul.
2: Good morning, gentlemen. Yes, sir. sir.
1: I've
0: got an O2 Explorer Eddie Bauer edition, Okay, sir. and my key fob battery keeps going dead indiscriminately after a couple of weeks.
1: Okay, that is generally going to be a problem, Paul, in the little transmitter itself. It's got several little functions in there that when you push the button, wake up and send a signal, and then supposed to go to sleep after that. And mm-hmm. if they don't go to sleep, then what it'll do is run that battery dead just real, real quick. There are ways to test those little key fobs, but they're not awfully expensive. I want to say they're in the neighborhood of about 40 40 to $45, and you do have to reprogram it, but that's fairly easy also. Most likely replacing the key fob is going to be the answer. So,
0: like if I go to eBay or somewhere like that and buy a key fob from
1: there? I don't know what they've got on eBay. I generally buy them from the Ford dealer because they're not that expensive. Some of that aftermarket stuff works. Some of it doesn't. I'd be a okay. little bit apprehensive. i tell you what I would do, Paul, is I would go first and price them elsewhere then go to the Ford dealer and check the price. And if it's within 20%, I just buy them from the Ford dealer. If it's, okay. if it's half the price and you want to take the risk, yeah, then maybe it's worth the reward. The reward's worth the risk. But a lot of that aftermarket stuff comes out of China. Who knows? You get it all the way down here, it doesn't work. Now you got to ship it back. You've spent spend more than you would have spent on the and legitimate what do they deal. Normally
0: co- what do they cost to reprogram the stuff
1: it takes about 15, 20 minutes in the shop, and, you know, most shops charge 80 to $90 an hour, so probably $20, 30 Okay. All righty. Thanks for your help. Okay, Paul. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Mm, bye-bye. You. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour? We're going to take one last quick little break, and we'll be right back with more.
8: So, lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh! My sheep keep
2: getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it let me level with you doc sheep are not the smartest animals not you denise you're the exception look doc you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep it's a little one-sided they just look at you with this blank look on their faces that and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wits end
8: I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right and it saves money in the long run. With the money I save, I could
2: buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. (laughs) Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you.
9: Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go.
4: Welcome back. If you
1: just joining us, it's the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldizan, president of Agco Automotive. got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Between two of us, i bet you we can answer just about any question you might have. Why don't you go to us calls? And we're going our phone lines with Jeep. Hey, Jeep, what's going on, man?
0: Louis, how you doing, buddy? I'm
1: doing great,
6: sir.
0: All these years, I've been changing coolant in my vehicle, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, I hear from somebody that I've been doing it the wrong way. I, I bet should, you have.
9: I should, I should be <laughs>
0: venting the... I should be vending the air that's trapped in the block, if, if I understand correctly. Well, it
1: depends on the kind of vehicle it is, Jeep, because some vehicles now, if it has a surge tank on it, it's probably going to be self-bleeding. If it's got a reservoir on it, yes, it has to be vented. And you'll know the difference because it'll overheat on you pretty darn fast. Like if you take a Ford Thunderbird from a few years ago, and you change the coolant on don't bleed it, you're going to drive about half around the block, and that gauge is going to be pegged over all the way on hot.
0: Well, is it something that, that I can do? Yeah, can right.
1: yeah. it's just a series of bleeder screws, just like bleeding brakes or anything else, and all what? you do is you crack it, and you'll see air come bubbling out, and then when coolant streams out uh, continuously, then it's done.
2: What kind of vehicle are we talking about here, Jeep? 07
1: Tacoma. 07 Tacoma. Yeah, that's going to have a surge tank yeah. on it. That's going to be self-bleeding. Yep. Is it? Yes, sir. What about... <laughs> What about a 2001 Civic? Probably has a, a
2: bleeder screw. I think it's got a bleeder screw because the engine sits lower than yeah. the radiator does. Yeah. I, I, it, I'd have yeah. to look at it I'd have to be to look sure. look at it,
1: but yeah. I tell you what's an even bigger concern than that Jeep, and I can almost bet you what a lot of people do at least, just quick little lesson in changing coolant first off you know you drain the radiator and all that there's some plugs or screws or something in the engine block you need to pull those out to drain the engine block also if not you're leaving about half the coolant dirty depleted coolant in the engine
0: well tell me something is is that something for far as location of these these screws uh mm-hmm. on in the manual
1: or no or... gotta know where they're at to get in there and find them chevrolet has got a big plug inside the block doesn't it big hex fitting on it
2: oh, the chevrolet does he's got yeah. a tacoma or a tacoma right Yes. Yeah, I think that one has a drain on the side of the block. I'm not sure. You'd have to go to Service Data and find it. We actually got a computer program where we can punch that vehicle up. Pay 5000 bucks a year for right. that piece of information. Find all the information on it, and it kind of tells you where the, the different plugs are for That's one
1: at. thing, but another couple things, Jeep, need to be using distilled water if you're not. Words, right. do, do not right. put city water in them because you will destroy the cooling system. And one of the most important things of all... And for some reason, nobody does this. You need to pre-mix that coolant and water before you pour it into that car. Don't pour the coolant in and dump the water on top. Will not mix in, in the engine block.
10: Oh, that's something I've never done.
1: Yeah, and it will not mix properly. You will have the improper mix of coolant and water in the engine if you don't do that. But get you a pail of some sort. Put half your coolant, half your water in Pre-mix it or just buy premixed pre coolant.
2: Right. They do,
1: they do sell coolant that's already mixed with distilled water. And
2: that way you know it's mixed properly right. before it goes in. Because
1: the... coolant is considerably heavier than water. And if you yep. dump that in the engine block, what it's going to do, all the coolant's going to the bottom of the block, and all the water's going around the cylinder heads. And that water will corrode the bejeebers out of your coolant system because you have no corrosion protection. And it Lower. will not mix.
10: Uh, thank you very much. Okay, man. See you
1: now. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got David online. Good morning, David.
6: Good morning. How yes, sir. Are you? Doing great, good, sir. Good. I've got a question for you. I have a 2006 Nissan Sentra, uh-huh. and it's just got 62,000 miles on it. Okay. When should I service the transmission?
1: Probably be servicing about now, David. Most of them around 50 is good, but 60 is not too late. Okay. You know, I'd probably do it now.
6: Okay. I do listen to y'all when I'm working on weekends. Uh-huh. And I know that y'all say don't get a flush on it. No,
1: do not flush it. You want to do a proper service on it. And I would have to see which transmission that has.
2: Some of those had a CVT in them.
1: Right. Some of them have a constantly variable transmission, and all you can do is a drain and fill on that. Some of them do have a pan you can remove and change the filter. Some of them you just have to do what they call a double drain and fill on.
6: Just depends on which
1: transmission it's got in it.
6: Now, the constant velocity, that's when you're driving it and you don't feel it shifting gears? Well, you're not
1: supposed to. Sometimes they even program a little bump in there just to make you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My
6: wife has that on her 2010 Rogue, but right. feel it right. goes every gear. Yeah, just look under
1: there, okay. David. If it's got a pan on it that you can remove, then it's going to have a filter and all that can be serviced. If okay. it does not have a pan, if it's a sealed case, then all you can do is a double drain and fill on
6: it. Okay, well, I wouldn't even attempt to do that myself. I know <laughs> you do do that. I pass your shop every now and then. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, and y'all do uh, require to have someone call in and set an appointment, be
1: right? Be best, yes, sir, because if you just drop in, there's going to be a thousand ahead of you. Right, I heard
6: that.
2: Okay. How
1: long did you think to do it? About an hour, and I'm sorry, we're just totally out of time. I want to thank everybody for listening to us this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd
2: like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week and tell your friends so we can get a lot more people listening on the podcast. The
1: more the better. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.